This is Jack Oliver Smith, Associate Editor of New Media Central UK. There never seemed to be a dull moment in 2016 for the UK Independence Party. In the wake of achieving its long-term goal of Britain voting to withdraw from the European Union, leader Nigel Farage resigned and was replaced by Diane James in the subsequent election, who then resigned herself after just 18 days in the job. The party's second leadership election later in the autumn was won by Farage's former deputy Paul Nuttall, who resigned this June after overseeing a general election campaign which returned just over half a million votes, less than the party's total in 2010. With Farage deciding against standing once more, the new race to find a new leader began in the summer. One of the candidates who stood against Nuttall last year was the then-unknown John Rhys-Evans, who caused a stir when announcing to an assembled audience of party members at a hustings event in his native Wales that he would instead embark on his own personal tour across Britain, and there and then left the auditorium. Rhys-Evans' impassioned desire to make UKIP the first direct democracy party in Britain has resonated with many members, and he received just over 2,000 votes, an achievement in itself given his lack of status a month previously. Rhys Evans is standing once again, this time with the slogan, Be the Government, and sources within UKIP have told us that he stands a very good chance of winning. This week, Rhys Evans spoke to New Media Central regarding his campaign, his plan should he be the victor, and his willingness to potentially work with other fellow leadership candidates. I began by asking him why he has on this occasion decided to take part in the Hustings events instead of another solo schedule. Um, this in this particular leadership election, why have you decided to take part in all the Hustings that you've been you've been able to do? Um, I think because last time they were essentially choreographed. The way that the rules were explained to us uh, was presented in such a way that um, uh, frankly made debate impossible. You see, I was criticised Yeah. Um, so, has the hustings for this leadership election been a lot more to your liking from that respect then? Okay. Um, so, obviously, the hustings have now finished, and obviously, the ballot papers have been sent out to the members. Um, and of course, when you did your tour across Britain in the last leadership election, you obviously engaged with a lot of different members across various parts of the country. Um, do you think that what you did there in that uh, last year, do you think that is, will be helping you on this occasion? So uh, I don't think all of the support we 
positive to this time. Uh, even though my position has remained completely constant from then until now. Okay, uh, and obviously um, there's a lot more candidates this time, as I, as I said. Um, do you have any um, intent to work with the people that you've been going up against in this contest, um, should, you, should you win? There's been a lot of complaint uh, about, well, from some circles about um, Anne-Marie Waters and her uh, uh, stances on certain issues. And of course, one of the other candidates tried to have a, a struck off the, the ballot paper. Um, but you and the other candidates made sure that she was f uh, free to compete against you, weren't, weren't you? That would, would that stop you uh, from work, potentially working with uh, Henry Bolton if, uh, if, if... No, 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 absolutely not. I mean, look, all, all of these people, all these other candidates have been correctly listened to, to me, and I think have operated very fairly in this leadership election. I don't have a problem with anything. I think from Henry's perspective, I think he respects the fact that I respect the fact that Anne-Marie has a lot of support within the party. You know, however many votes she gets, let's say she gets 3,000 votes for argument's sake, that will actually constitute a sizable proportion of the party payroll. And those members have the, the right to have their concerns represented. Um, so if Anne-Marie, um, she's campaigning for, essentially embodies their concerns, and it's something that we absolutely need to take on board and, and fight for. In fact, I would say that much of what Anne-Marie is pushing for I've got a tremendous amount of respect for the fact that there, have not been, there has not been a single conviction for FGM since it became illegal in this country in 1985. It's shocking, but there's obviously something going badly wrong, and that nobody else has had the courage to confront the, the government and to risk being perceived to be politically correct for doing so. Um, since 1985, is quite outrageous. The only kind of party equipped to tackle issues like this that are so politically sensitive, frankly, is UKIP. So I see it as something that we need to embrace. Of course, I don't agree with Anne-Marie and her messaging. Um, I, I don't believe that opposing Islam per se should be the raison d'etre of UKIP moving forwards. Absolutely not. I think what she is pushing for is uh, is important. It's something that the party should should take on board, albeit using messaging that is uh, in line with that ethos. And of course, your uh, your primary um, 
the, the sort of the cornerstone of your manifesto is is the uh, introducing direct democracy as a platform to the party. So if you like to explain just a bit more about how you'd implement it and a bit more about how direct democracy has kind of uh, inspired you and this particular platform to people that wouldn't be as au fait with it. Obviously, as you just uh, explained, obviously direct democracy is, is the thing that you're pushing for in, in the party and hopefully ultimately uh, across the whole country. Uh, and obviously you have previously said, um, show some scepticism to the way Anne-Marie Waters uh, gets her message across. Now, do you believe that 
the party's main um, uh, main objective as a party uh, as an entity is to uh, ensure Brexit is delivered in the way uh, the people voted for. Uh, that is a very important objective, and is something which we should um, have very, very placed at the top of our, at the, at the top of our list of priorities. However, um, even once we get Brexit, we still have a similar problem. You see, before Brexit, while we're members of the EU, the problem that we have is that we have a bunch of unrepresentative bureaucrats who are imposing their will on us against the will of the people. Now, let's say we get a proper Brexit in precisely the way that the people wanted it. We still have a similar problem, uh, albeit within the UK, in the sense that we have now some domestic uh, bureaucrats who are imposing their will on us. Parliament is not massively more democratic than the European Union are. We, we have clear evidence of that from the vote that was taken amongst the MPs shortly before the referendum on the 23rd of June last year, in which three quarters of our MPs voted to remain in the European Union. Now, if Parliament were representative of the people at large, what you would expect is to get roughly an even split between leavers and remainers in Parliament. Um, but you didn't get that. You had three quarters voting in favour of staying in the European Union. At the same time, that over half of our national population voted to leave. So my fear is, and in fact it's, it's, um, it's with, with evidence, um, that once we leave the European Union, all that's going to happen is that these lobbyists who currently have a very easy job influencing legislation by setting up uh, their lobby groups in Brussels and Strasbourg, they'll simply move to London and they will continue to lobby parliamentarians from within the UK for the same kinds of outcomes. And I mean, you'll remember that I've, I've argued that the outcomes that uh, I am arguing are being fought in favour of um, are um, you know, by uh, allegedly representative parliamentarians. Uh, and um, you know, bureaucrats in the European Union are generally in favour of vested interests. You see, once people are elected into positions of power, they don't represent the will of the people. Um, within their parties, they're dictated to, through their party whips or their party leaders, they're essentially telling the party line and they're working to vested interests. Um, so that's not going to change once we leave the European Union. The only satisfactory outcome for me is total independence uh, of the people of this country from all forms of anti-democratic um, imposition, whether that's from outside this country or within it. And just before the referendum last summer, um, the former leader, Nigel Farage, made a point on television saying that he thought that the days of, a, of, of being a member of a political party where you had a, a membership card you carry around in your wallet was a little bit old hat and he wanted to implement something a little bit different. Now, I think he was alluding to uh, having UKIP be operated similar to the Five Star Party in which he sits with uh, in the European Parliament. Is that, is that the way you would take UKIP? Well, yes, um, in, in the sense that, that the Five Star Party in Italy 
is run on the basis of direct democracy. And so certainly there'd be some similarities. And in fact, um, rather on the subject of that party, I was speaking to an Italian in London a couple of weeks ago, and he was actually asked by somebody very senior in our party when the Five Star Movement started what he thought of it. And uh, his, his analysis was that they were kind of disorganized, not very serious, and he didn't really think it would amount to much. But actually, um, now, his analysis is that they're likely to become the future government of Italy. Uh, the fact is, once you offer people the opportunity to impose their will on government, once they understand the implications of that and how easily that may be achieved, it's something which is incredibly attractive because almost universally politicians are not trusted. And if, and if the people have the opportunity to make the kinds of decisions that politicians make themselves, it makes people want to go for it. And what I would say, Jack, is that there will be some decisions that the ordinary voting public will never have any kind of interest in getting involved with kind of convoluted things that don't really connect with their daily lives. And so I'm not envisaging that everybody will vote on everything all the time. But what I am fighting for is a system which will allow people to vote on whatever they're interested in. And if enough of them do vote, they will exceed a participating threshold. Uh, and that, therefore, the vote of the people will count. Um, if, of course, we don't attain that minimum threshold of participation, then uh, Parliament would actually retain prerogative to make decisions themselves to, for their own votes to count on the issue. Okay. Um, and one other thing that's happening with UKIP at the moment, which is uh, not really uh, connected to the leadership contest, is that immediately afterwards there is going to be an apparent rebranding of the party, which was announced before the general election this year. Um, yeah which could cause problems for whoever wins this contest. How are you planning to approach that should you come out of uh, this the winner? Okay, well look, in principle, I agree that something needs to happen. There needs to be some kind of symbolic change of some kind. Um, but my feeling is that this decision ought to be with the consent of the membership. We ought to, it ought to be our role to persuade the members of the necessity of this. Uh, most people are averse to change per se, um, especially socially conservative people. Uh, and UKIP does largely comprise people who are quite socially conservative. So if, if you simply impose on a party a change of name, a change of branding, logo, or colours, they are going to almost universally rebel against that. So I think the case needs to be made more convincingly first. They, they need to be persuaded that um, the British public um, generally has a sense that UKIP has completed its mission simply because we've obtained that fate on our membership of the European Union. And in many people's minds, that is what UKIP uh, was conceived to achieve. So that being achieved, most people can't really see why UKIP has any kind of relevant future. So we need to... Um, demonstrate to the British public that we have now completed one phase and we're moving to a new phase. Now, in my mind, there's never really been any change in our objective, as I alluded to before. Our objective has always been independence, and we will never be independent as long as we're under uh, any form of domestic oppression. Independence is not just independence from uh, overseas, you know, foreign oppression. It's also from domestic oppression. So we must continue to fight for the 
alliance with the fight for independence, and that is manageable. There's nothing we can really do to change that fact. And so the only way we can really counter this notion that UKIP uh, has finished its mission is with some kind of a, a rebrand or some kind of a refresh. So I think um, I think the, the existing hierarchy, I don't think they've necessarily presented this in the most uh, uh, strategic or tactical way. Um, and I think they're going to have tremendous difficulty with people rebelling against this notion of having this rebrand imposed on them. But in the event that I am leader, um, what I will be doing is taking this rebrand and thanking those who are responsible for its design and then putting that in front of members. And uh, if I believe in the branding, if it makes sense to me, of course I'll advocate it, I'll argue in favour of it. Um, but I'd also like to offer others the opportunity to present their own designs, branding ideas. And then, um, yeah, over the course of the next two or three months, we can kind of debate the relative merits of each brand and then get the members to vote on it. So uh, the, the outcome would be that the brand that we have will reflect the, the will of the majority of our members. And one other thing that not everybody, but I think a lot of people that uh, know some things about UKIP will know is that the party has been uh, struggling somewhat for, uh, for money. Um, and doesn't have uh, as many donors as it once had. Um, what is your plan to help UKIP become more financially viable in terms of fighting elections and so on? Well, I've got a number of plans for that. I mean, firstly, I think that with direct democracy, membership will increase substantially because right now there's not a compelling reason to become a member of UKIP, even if you want to see us do well, even if you vote for us, um, even if you're strongly sympathetic towards us. I've been sympathetic towards UKIP since the early 1990s. I've never voted for another political party, so I'm completely loyal to UKIP. And yet, I never became a member until I had to in 2014 in order to stand as a, as a candidate. So I think there are many people throughout the country who support us, but they have no reason to actually sign up and become members. But once we have a system whereby, in order to influence decisions made within the party and in order to contribute to the future direction of the party, you've got to be a signed-up member. I think it will strongly motivate a lot of people who right now are sitting on the sidelines to actually get involved. Remember, Jack, uh, one of the aspects of direct democracy um, that's included in the strategy that I have designed is for local and national campaign initiatives. So if there is something which... Um, you know, someone who is not a member feels is really important that should be addressed or fought for. I mean, let's say, for example, um, you think that old people get a raw deal. Um, there's just not enough support for them. Let's say it's unacceptable that 13,000 veterans um, sleep rough on our streets every night and you think the government is not doing enough. If you want to gain support for a national campaign to address these issues, you'll need to join the party, propose these campaign initiatives and you also want to persuade as many people as possible to join the party so that they can assent to your proposals and vote in favour of them happening. So you'll have access to a kind of a network of support, like-minded people who will campaign with you and um, I think this kind of incentive to become members will you know, cause uh, a massive number of people who currently have no motivation to join, to actually join up. I'd be disappointed if within a year, once we have 
inaugurated democracy pretty much. Our membership didn't exceed 100,000 members. That would massively increase our funding. But in addition to that, Jack, I've also designed a program called uh, UKIP Affiliate, whereby we incentivize business owners to either become members or if they're already members, to register the details of their businesses on a directory. It's a members-only directory. And uh, in order to be on this directory, you have to agree uh, discount to, to, to be taken off the, the cost of the services that you provide. And half of the value of that discount benefit the buyer and the other half would accrue to party funds. So if, for example, your margins are now a 10% discount, um, 5% would go to party coffers and you'd effectively get um, 5% if you're buying from this, this business. So I think I think this would uh, stimulate a lot of uh, uh, kind of networking between business owners and members. Uh, I think it would also um, produce you know, quite a lot of funds. Okay, and uh, obviously going back to the one of the earlier questions regarding um, whether you would be work, willing to work with the people you've been standing against in this election, there's a lot of um, uh, murmurs out there that uh, you would be uh, happy to take back uh, some people that have been in the party and have left, such as people like Stephen Wolf. Now, would you be happy to to say that you would you would be wishing to bring him back? Oh, definitely. Yeah, no, I think he's a huge, a huge asset. Um, you, you know, I know he's been subject to criticism. I mean, haven't we, haven't we all? You know, we're all human. We've all got our foibles. But um, I think uh, Stephen is an absolutely superb asset. He's, he's great on media and I think extremely popular with the members. So, yes, I'd, I'd love to have him back. And I think if I became a member, we'd, we'd stand a very good chance of getting him back. And if you were to bring him back, would you deploy him in the role that he was previously in, which was both open for migration and for um, for finance? I'd have a conversation with him and I'd ask him where he felt he'd be most useful. Okay. UK Independence Party leadership candidate John Rhys Evans speaking to New Media Central this week. The party's autumn conference is being held on the 29th and 30th of September in Torquay, England, with the winner being announced on the first day. This has been a New Media Central production.